Ruan Williams is the former Bishop of Canterbury, and he shares in his book, Where God Happens, he shares a conversation between two monks. The first of them was a gracious old man named Macarius, and the other was a judgmental, self-righteous young man named Theopemptus. We'll call him Theo for short. How about that? So how are you getting along, Brother Theo, the old man asked. Thanks to your prayers, all is well, Theo replied. Well, do you not have to battle with your fantasies, the old man asked again. No, Theo answered. Up to now, all is well. Brother Theo, the old man replied, I've been a monk for many years and everyone sings my praises. But despite my age, I still battle with sexual fantasies. Believe me, Abba, Theo admitted, it's the same with me. The old man went on confessing all of his struggles before asking, How do you fast, Brother Theo? Till the ninth hour, Theo replied. Practice fasting a little later, said Macarius. Meditate on scripture, and if an alien thought arises within you, don't look down, but up, and the Lord will come to your help. And then Williams challenges us to deal with others, not with confrontation or condemnation, but with the quiet exposure of our own failures in a way that prompts them to the same truthfulness. This is a quote directly from him, from that book. We win and convert our neighbors by putting to death any hint of superiority in our vision of ourselves. We have nothing to defend, and we preach the gospel by simple identification with the condition of another, a condition others cannot themselves face honestly. Now, our lesson today is about not judging others. And our teacher is Jesus himself. Let's turn to the book of Luke, and we will continue. That's Luke chapter 6, continuing to read from verse 37 to 42. Jesus taught this, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Now, Jesus gives us 
four commands in this passage, all of them related to each other. Two of them are in the negative, as in don't, and two are in the positive. First of all, judge not, Jesus says, and condemn not. These are negative commands. And then the two positive ones are forgive and give. Each of these commands has a corresponding result if we do what it says. And then to make his teaching absolutely clear, Jesus teaches a, or uses a parable, an illustration in the form of a parable. Here's my first point to us this morning. It is not our place to judge others. Now, I work out at a local gym in town. And it strikes me as very odd that some people who are there to work out seem to spend more time looking in the mirror at themselves than they spend working out. I see that all of the time. I'm not going to tell you which sex normally is doing that, though. But you know, there's a huge sign that is posted in one of the corners of that gym that keeps me in check from making any kind of judgmental accusation. It says, this is a judgment-free zone. So that keeps me in check. Now, have you ever felt judged by someone? It is a terrible feeling to be judged, to have people judge you. And usually their judgment of you is entirely false, entirely false. And yet, we all do it, don't we? We all are too quick to judge other people, which is why Jesus commands us in this passage not to do it. Now, the word judge has its origin in the Greek word krino, which means to separate to distinguish, to decide, to criticize, to pass judgment. Now, when Jesus says judge not, he is not referring to legal jurisprudence. He's not referring to a court of law in which there is a judge, a jury, and usually an attorney that is debating your case, or attorneys debating your case based on the evidence. He's not referring to that at all. He means passing judgment on others without having any evidence of what you're speaking. Now, there are three things that I want you to notice about Jesus' command not to judge, the first of which is this. It comes immediately after Jesus has just taught about mercy. You remember last, last week that we learned that when we love our enemies, we demonstrate that we are a chip off the old block. We are just like our father because our father is just like that. How is he? He is merciful to the ungrateful and the evil, the word tells us. So when Jesus commands us to be merciful as your father is merciful, he's saying that we must be just like our father. Emulate him. Be merciful, which incidentally means be full of mercy. Now, I have never met anyone in my life who doesn't prefer mercy over judgment. You ever met anybody that would prefer judgment over mercy? I've never met anybody like that at all. But here is how we usually think about mercy and judgment. 
We want mercy over judgment when our head is on the chopping block. But then we want judgment over mercy when our enemy's head is on the chopping block. That is not how it works in God's kingdom, Jesus says. It is not our place to judge others. Instead, we are to strive to be like our Father. We must emulate him. We must do as he does, and he is merciful. The second thing I want you to notice about the command not to judge is whose place it is to judge. That place is reserved for one person only. And who is that? It is the Son, Jesus. Now in John chapter 5 and verse 22, Jesus says this, For the Father judges no one, but has given all authority to the Son. And so it is the Son, Jesus, who will judge. But before he sits in judgment, he is Savior. Rather than condemning any of us or all of us, which he could have done, he chose to save us by giving his life on a cross. Now, before he sits in judgment, he's also intercessor. He is constantly asking the Father to be merciful to us. There will be a day, however, when he will judge the world. But his judgment will be just and it will be impartial. It will be in accordance with the evidence that he has in his book on each one of us. Now, I find it interesting that no one will be able to bribe or plea deal their way out of that. No defense attorney will be able to move a mistrial on our behalf at all. Our only reprieve will be the blood of Jesus Christ. God says in his word, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Now, the third thing I want you to notice about the command not to judge is that it has a corresponding result. Jesus says, if you do not judge, you will not be judged. But if you judge, you will be judged. And your judgment will be harsher than the judgment that you passed on somebody else. Now, someone said this about why we should not judge others. I quote him, or her, for that matter. When you see someone in sin, there are three things that you do not know. First, you do not know how hard they tried not to sin. Second, you have no idea what they were up against, the temptation they were facing. And third, you do not know what you would have done in the same circumstance, all three of which are so true. So it's not our place to judge. Second point is this, it is our place to show mercy. Jesus says, condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Now, when we judge someone, we are proclaiming them guilty, which is what it means to condemn someone. Now, conversely, to forgive someone is to show them mercy. Now, not because they are worthy of it, because nobody really 
is worthy of your forgiveness. You don't forgive somebody because they deserve it. You don't forgive somebody because they apologize either. You forgive them because Jesus says that you should. You forgive and extend mercy to someone who offends you because that is what God's word commands us to do. Jesus says, be known for showing mercy, not condemnation. Don't be known for condemning people because if you condemn them, you will yourselves be condemned as well. If you don't, you will not be condemned. But be known for forgiving people because if you forgive people, you will be forgiven. But if you don't, you will not be forgiven either. I like these two lines that Jesus uses to describe how it is that you are forgiven when you forgive others and how you are shown mercy when you show mercy. Jesus says this, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And so in other words, whatever you give, whether it is mercy or forgiveness or generosity, it will come back to you in greater measure, in a greater amount than you, than you gave it. I'm sure you've heard of the expression, what goes around comes around. That is so true. I believe that's where we actually got it. Can't claim that it was, but I kind of have this theory that maybe that's where that originated. If you judge and condemn people, you will end up being judged and condemned more harshly than you judged or condemned others. And so that's what good measure pressed down and shaken together and running over means. Notice that it will be put into your lap. It will come right back to you in the same measure that you used. But the same is true with mercy and generosity. If you forgive and show mercy to people, it will come back to you as well. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. It will come right back into your lap. And if it doesn't come into your lap, it will come into your children's lap. Into your grandchildren's lap. Into your great-grandchildren's lap. This is a principle that is in God's word. If you do good, it will come back to you in a greater measure than you did it. Here's a third and final point. We must keep a critical eye on ourselves. Now, Jesus was an expert storyteller. He had this uncanny way of coming up with a parable or a story that could fit any teaching that he was about to engage in. Now, he didn't tell this story about a blind man leading a blind man to disparage people who were blind. That's not his intent at all. He was merely saying the obvious. And what the obvious is, is that we know the folly of a blind man leading a blind person across the road. Because sooner rather than later, they will either be hit by a car, or fall into a ditch, or run into a tree. We all know the likelihood of a student becoming just like his master, or even better than his master. If, in fact, he attends to and applies um, all that he has been taught. 
If we emulate Jesus' example, and Jesus is the master teacher here, if we emulate his example of mercy and forgiveness, we will become just like him or even better. I don't mean better in the sense that we're better than Jesus. But he did say in his word that we would do greater things than he would because he was going to his father. But you know something? Here comes a part of the story that will hit all of us right between the eyes. And I guarantee you that it will prick our consciences as well. Because this story is not really about a blind man leading a blind man. It's not really a story about a student and a teacher. This is a story about us. Jesus always told stories that had applications to our lives personally. And so we must all answer Jesus' why question, and we must all answer his how question, and then we must all receive the stinging rebuke in this passage. So here's what Jesus says. Well, first, there are questions anyway. But why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? That's the why question. Here's the how question. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. So here is the rebuke now. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Now, you will agree with me that these questions need no explanation or clarification whatsoever. We all understand what they mean. There is no one here this morning who does not know exactly what Jesus is talking about when he asks these questions. All of us can instantly identify with what Jesus is asking and saying. We've all been there. We all know how ridiculous it looks to point out the speck of dust that is in somebody's eye when there is a log in our own. We all know how foolish it would be for the pot that is in constant use to look at the kettle and call it black. We all know how hypocritical it is to condemn someone for their sin when we are guilty of the same or even greater sin. It's gotten awfully quiet in here this morning. I wonder why. I'm told that a young couple moved into a neighborhood, and over breakfast the next morning, the wife looked through the window and saw her neighbor hanging out laundry on her line. That laundry is not even clean, she said to her husband. Doesn't she know how to wash correctly? Perhaps she needs somebody to teach her, or maybe she even needs better detergent, she says. I'm told that every time her neighbor hanged her laundry on the wire, the woman would make the same criticism. About a month later, she was surprised to see clean linen, clean laundry on the line. And she said to her husband, finally, somebody has really taught her how to wash. I wonder who it was. The husband replied, I got up early this morning, and I cleaned our window. 
<laughs> yes. You hypocrite, Jesus says. First, clean your window. Take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. What that means is that since we are all sinners, deal with your own sin first by taking it to the cross, taking it to Jesus. And then you will have the moral authority to tell somebody else about their sin. Confess yours first, but do so in a way that prompts others to do the same. Here's the bottom line of our message this morning. In God's kingdom, mercy always triumphs over judgment. I have three things to share with you very quickly as I close. First of all, I want to say to you this morning, be overwhelmed by God's mercy. Be overwhelmed by God's mercy. Don't just sing about it. Allow yourself to be overwhelmed by it. God's word says to us that God is merciful to the evil and to the ungrateful and to the undeserving. It was his mercy toward us that led him to the cross. He showed mercy and forgiveness to others even as they were nailing him to the cross. And in fact, he prayed, Father, forgive them because they don't even know what it is they're doing. I want to say to us this morning, don't take God's mercy for granted. Be overwhelmed by it. Become undone by it. In other words, let the mercy of God wreck you. Wreck you. Because other than God's mercy, what would we have been like? Where would we have been? So my challenge to us this morning is to gratefully surrender to the mercy of Jesus. Here's my second application point. Remember God's mercy toward you whenever you're tempted to condemn someone else. Our servant, I'm told, owed his master a huge debt which he could not repay in his lifetime. The amount was a thousand talents, and one talent, I'm told, is worth 20 years' wages in Jewish terms. And so his master ordered that he, his wife, his children, and everything that he owed be sold in order to pay off the debt. Now, you know that I'm telling this story straight out of the Bible. It is, a, in fact, a parable that Jesus himself taught. The servant having been, having realized that his master was about to sell him and sell his wife and his children and everything that he owed to pay off the debt, the servant fell on his knees begging, be merciful to me until I pay you back everything that I owe you. And so his master was merciful. He forgave him everything. In fact, he forgave him the entire debt. He was no longer required to pay that debt back at all. But no sooner had he gone outstairs than, oh, I'm sorry, outside, than he ran into a fellow servant who owed him a mere 100 denarii. Now, a denarius was worth, I'm told, a mere three days, I'm sorry, three weeks' wages. So you're looking at about three months, just about. 
three months' wages. And so grabbing him by the throat, he demanded that he repay him everything that he owed. And when the man could not repay it, he had him arrested. He called the cops on him. Of course, you knew that word got back to the master, as it sure did. The master asked, should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? threw him into prison until he should pay back everything that he owed. And then this is how Jesus ended the parable. My heavenly Father will do the same to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So here's the moral of the story. Forgive even as you have been forgiven. And we sang this morning very beautifully, Lyrics that spoke to the mercy that we received from God. The forgiveness that he gave to us. We ought to be generous in extending that as well. Here's my question to you this morning. Who needs your forgiveness? A wife? A husband? Children? Parents? Uncle? church member, who needs your forgiveness? Are you going to forgive them, difficult as it may be, simply because Jesus says that you should? Not because they apologize, not because you have to first um, feel that their apology was genuine, but simply because Jesus says that you should. Who needs your forgiveness this morning? And which one of you will go a step further and grant it? Here's our final application point. Never stone someone for their sin before first asking God to forgive yours. You would remember that Jesus said these words, Let him who is without sin cast the first stone at her. Jesus gave this command uh, concerning those who were stoning a woman whom they caught in the act of adultery. And believe it or not, none of them could actually proceed with stoning this woman because they all knew that they were guilty of either the same sin or even a worse sin. I want to say to us this morning, before you throw that stone of condemnation, remember that you are a sinner as well. Take your sin first to God and receive his mercy and then go and be merciful to somebody else who has offended you, sinned against you. Give them forgiveness because that is so much better than judging someone. Let us pray together. God, there's none of us here this morning that can say that this does not apply to us. We are all guilty of judging even without evidence. But Lord, you are instructing us this morning to do the better thing, the greater thing, Lord God, which is to deal with our own sin before condemning somebody else. Being merciful and forgiving and generous rather than condemning. And God, we ask you to give us the grace today and this week to really apply this word. Let it not just be something that we hear today, 
and then forget about this afternoon as we go about doing other things. But God, let us retain it and allow it to shape our thinking and to shape our actions and to shape how we live our lives. Because God, if we follow these instructions, we would be just like our Father, who is merciful to the ungrateful, to the evil, and to the undeserving. God, we can't end without saying to you, thank you. Thank you for being merciful to us. Thank you for forgiving us of every sin that we commit. Enable and empower us to do the same to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.